Show. It is Daniel Orban coming to you live from the Dream Imagine A Sports Studios. It's 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. Not quite as early morning wake-up call. We are um, starting today, moving the show back to our original hour uh, for the time being uh, with everything going on. And uh, so we are going at it today live now at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for at least the next several weeks, and we will adjust and go from there. Welcome into the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you had a good weekend. Um, It's it's a little different with everything uh, going on uh, around the world. not really a lot of sports to, uh, to to cover or to follow in terms of, uh, you know, between the lines or on the court. Um, most leagues shutting down over uh, the last few days, at least for an interim time being. And, uh, and we can get into some of those ramifications uh, later on um, in the week, but, uh, you know, I think it was the, you know, the necessary move, the wise move. Um, you know, I told a story on the show, uh, last week about, uh, us bringing our son home. Um, and, uh, he was, uh, our oldest son was in, in Amsterdam doing, uh, some, some soccer training stuff and playing with the club there. And, and so, we decided preemptively to make a decision to bring him back. We didn't really know why. Um, and uh, he asked that and, and others, we, we didn't have any concrete answers. We just had this feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, when people have asked, I just said, God knew. That's all I can say is that we just we just had this feeling uh, to, to bring him home early. And so we did. And, uh, and now we've seen what's gone on over the last a uh, week or so uh, uh, with governments, you know, shutting down access here and there, um, you know, shutting down programming, uh, shutting down leagues, shutting down, you know, community activities, uh, public activities. So, um, you know, it, it, is a, it is a different world that we live in at the moment, although I, I don't think we are, you know, in the zombie apocalypse and I don't think the, the world's coming to an end. Nor do I think uh, this is going to be something that uh, lasts forever, but uh, I do think it's it's something that we have to deal with right here and now, and we should be listening to uh, medical professionals and uh, you know government officials about uh, you know what to do and 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 how to go about our daily lives in the interim, and so. But uh, it, it is uh, it, it is crazy, just kind of where we are and everything that's going on. Um, and and despite all of the the havoc and chaos that is swirling around the world, um, and that is obviously swirling through the sports world, um, there still is a a big sense of havoc and chaos when it comes to the United States Soccer Federation. Uh, last week, Carlos Cordero, the uh, president of U.S. Soccer, is uh, president no more. He resigned on Thursday, and uh, we talked a lot about that on Friday. Thursday and Friday both, we did uh, special editions of the show, two-hour episodes, uh, to cover everything that was going on, and there's still more to come. And, um, 
and we are working on uh, a special later this week. Uh, it'll be an evening special. I, I, I hope to have some more information on that tomorrow uh, for you um, that uh, gets into what's going on and how do we fix it. And, uh, and, and so we'll try to have some more information on that tomorrow. But, um, you know, it, it is a, it's a strange situation that uh, we see in the world of sports, but in the world of, of American soccer and this resignation of Carlos Cordero, this isn't so strange. And that is the sad part about it. Uh, anyone who's paid any attention to what's going on within U.S. soccer for any length of time knows that there are some major systemic and structural issues with the Federation. And those issues uh, have to do with the bylaws, the policies, the governance, um, how things are set up, um, who has power. Um, and, you know, there are, there are these four main uh, councils, but there's really a, a voting block of power. And uh, that voting block of power is the professional council and athlete council. Um, and, and really, in a lot of ways, it comes down to one man, uh, Don Garber. And um, he... He has so much uh, power within U.S. soccer because of the way the rules are written. Um, he is a de facto you know, ruler of the professional council in perpetuity. And at the same time, uh, with that, that power and the access to the, uh, the media contract and influence over American media, um, he has influence and in, in authority and power over the athlete council, or at least has shown that flex that power in the past. So um, there are a lot of underlying structural issues, and we're going to dig into those throughout the course of the week. Uh, we'll continue to put out uh, articles, blog articles covering where we are. We've been doing that over the last several days, and we look to continue that as well. And, and like I said, we're looking at a, at a, uh, a special uh, later this this week, uh, an evening special that uh, I hope to have some other guests on to really dig into where we are and, and where we need to be uh, going forward. So, um, you know, it is what it is uh, in, in that regard. We're, we're in a situation right now where Cindy Parlo Cohn has uh, become president and uh, after some clarifications over the weekend about the bylaws, which are, you know, like many of the rules, poorly written, um, the I got some clarification, and it it is now my understanding that Cindy Parlocone is not acting president, which was what was my understanding in the beginning, she is the president of the Federation. And uh, that term finishes up um, one year from the next AGM. So in 2022. So the way the rules work is whenever you take over a term, you only take over that term as an interim basis. Uh, and then you must be elected to that position at the next AGM. So it's, it's kind of in the middle. Uh, but what, what was made clear to me was that um, by her moving into the presidential position, 
the vice presidential position is vacated. So at the next AGM, we will have president and vice president elections uh, taking place. And so that'll be an interesting thing to track and to see. Um, and, uh, and I've talked a little bit about uh, where the board is, and we're going to get into that uh, through the course of the week, uh, about where the board is and what needs, so, some of the things that need to happen, need to change. One of the things I want to bring up uh, here before we go to break is an independent commission. It is necessary to, to have a full review of what has taken place with the legal strategy, um, you know, why has, has there been no, uh, public, uh, announcements, uh, from the Federation in regards to firings, uh, sanctions or punishments of, uh, the legal team that, uh, were involved in, in this, uh, situation. Um, it goes, this goes far beyond Carlos Cordero. Uh, the board has oversight, um, and, so there's a lot of things going on here that that you know we just we have to dig into throughout the course of the week. It's not going to be uh, done in a day, but we will continue to put out articles on it as much as we possibly can, and uh, and and we look forward to sharing those. Uh, coming up uh, after the break, we we have an interview uh, with Jason Broadwater and uh, talk about his new position and uh, and and how he's looking to build culture. And uh, just kind of reminds me of the fact that uh, this is a moment where I think Cindy Cohn and others can uh, can try to build some culture as well uh, on the board, although it's very difficult when you have Don Garber and some others uh, who have been around a long time uh, on the board with a lot of power and influence. So uh, it's a tricky situation, and it'll be a situation we, we all have to monitor uh, and, and hold accountable those who are on the board. And I believe that some of that accountability uh, came to fruition last week with with Carlos Cordero's resignation. But no one should be taking his resignation as a signal in and of itself that anything has changed. He's still on the board as past president. Only Sunil Gulati rolled off the board. But Sunil Gulati is going to be involved. He is a FIFA Exco member. He's going to be around. And uh, so if you if you think uh, Sunil rolling off the board as past president is not going to be intimately involved with the inner workings of the Federation, things going on, you're naive. He will be just as involved, if not more involved than he's ever been. And, um, and so, you know, Cindy Cohn has a lot of, um, things she's going to have to deal with, uh, as she, uh, you know, takes on this role as, as president of us soccer, um, so, you know, it, it is going to be uh, a situation that we're going to have to, to see how it plays out over the next few days, the next few weeks. And we'll dig into, you know, the road ahead for her, uh, over the next year, um, uh, you know, 11 months towards the next AGM, but this independent commission is necessary and to change the culture. And that's something we're going to get into with Jason Broadwater in terms of changing the culture of, of his program and building a, a culture. And so I look forward to, to getting with getting up with him uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, before we do our sponsor this half hour is Ducktick brand D U K T I G brand.com D U K T I G brand.com. They, um, 
right now you got plenty of time to shop if you're a soccer coach most most soccer around this country has been shut down for the the next few weeks so take advantage of that time go to ductigbrand.com or go on and restock uh, on your supplies and when you do place an order and use promo code DW show you'll get 10% off of your order DW show that'll get you 10% off of your order at ductigbrand.com we'll be right back after this show thanks for tuning in today as always and we are joined by a friend of the show jason broadwater he is the host of touchline podcast and now the head men's soccer coach at penn state greater allegheny jason welcome to the show how are you today doing great daniel thank you for having me back on and uh, always a pleasure and uh, it is always a pleasure to, to have you on and uh, discuss the game. And, and, and now today we even get a chance to talk about your new gig as the, uh, the, the head men's soccer coach there at Penn, Penn State Greater Allegheny. Tell us uh, a little bit uh, about, um, you know, your desire to get into college coaching and, uh, and how this job uh, kind of came about for you. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, the attraction to college soccer uh, is really the, the holistic nature um, it presents and kind of offers. And what I mean by that, uh, yes, there's a significant piece when it comes to, you know, the, the soccer football piece of it. But it, it's the really the, the relationship and the mentoring of, of young people um, that I find, you know, really appealing and often tell our current guys that and I've recruits this that you know uh, not only am I coaching you in the game of soccer but I'm also coaching you in the game of life and um, you know it's amazing to me how open and honest players can be with you in that environment so I think the ability to have consistent contact 
with players and getting to know them and you know their challenges, their opportunities, their strengths, their weaknesses, um, where they may fall academically. Um, I think for me has really you know opened up some doors. Um, I had a, a 12-year career as a higher education administrator before I did this sort of weird, uh, you know, 180-degree uh, turn uh, over the last few years of, you know, moving from working in higher ed administration to actually, you know, working in soccer um, on a full-time basis. And just realizing that, you know, I had some skills that were applicable, but also um, the, the soccer piece for me is ultimately, you know, what won out. And so after the last high school season, so um, uh, high school soccer for us here in Pennsylvania is a fall sport. And so um, I don't know if I was really actively looking, but in some of the emails I get or whatever, I saw that there was an opening at one of the Penn State campuses and was familiar with it from a previous job that I had. So there's about 20 different campuses. Plus 20-ish campuses that make up Penn State University. And the campus that I'm at, Greater Allegheny, is about 15 minutes from downtown Pittsburgh, um, around 500 students, give or take, uh, on any year, chance for you know players to complete a four-year degree there, just a, a smaller, more personalized environment. And like I said, was familiar with the campus, um, thought, hmm, there's something here that is definitely interesting. And uh, for the position and really not knowing um, kind of what would, you know, what opportunities might be out there, or whatever, and reached out to the athletic director. Um, and luckily, uh, toward the end of 2019, uh, got in touch with them and they said, yeah, we would like to talk, you know, after the first of the new year. So that gave me some time to kind of strategize of how do I want to, you know, make this impression um, to be in front of a, a group of people and really, you know, try and seal the deal that, you know, ultimately be offered the job. And so really thought holistically uh, about, about the situation itself. And I think the situation that I came into was really one where this is a program that historically has actually had some success. Um, they on far in conference tournaments, and they've been competitive um, as a program. But within the last year and a half or so, they've had some challenges on the field, and a lot of that is related to depth on their roster. So really making recruiting students a high priority in terms of what you know, we're doing going forward. And for me, um, you know, I've had people tell me and even my own mentor tell me that, you know, make sure that I get the culture right of the program first. So, yes, it does feel uh, like some days and, you know, other college coaches probably can relate to this or coaches in general. that I feel like I'm spinning my wheels um, in terms of talking to players and, you know, uh, some check, you know, checking some boxes, but maybe not all the boxes or whatever. And I think for me, I would rather be very intentional and discern up front who would be a good fit for our program. So I tell every player that I talk to, you know, here's our four pillars as a program. You know, we stand for focus. We stand for in intensity. We stand for integrity and we stand for perseverance. And we want to be able to do that not only, you know, what happens in training, what happens on the pitch on match day. We also want to be able to do that in the classroom and that a lot of college soccer is quite truthfully applying life lessons to um you know, to the game 
how can they learn that game and then apply it to life? So I think um, just on the, the feedback that the, the guys have given me thus far, that you know they've been receptive to that message. And really, they're looking, I think they were looking for someone to really kind of gravitate to. And so, you know, if anyone's listened to, to my podcast or any other interviews I've done or just even knows me, you know, here locally or, you know, through soccer, Twitter or whatever, um, my passion for the game is in something that is sort of, uh, you know, inauthentic. Um, <laughs> if I could talk about soccer 24-7, I probably would. And, you know, my wife, if she were here, she'd probably roll her eyes. But it's true. And I think that young people especially know when that passion is authentic and they know when um, someone genuinely cares about them, you know, not only as a player, wants what's best for them as a player, but as a person. And so for me, I think it's a way of kind of bringing all these, you know, all these different areas of my life that I've had a little bit of experience in, but now so truly, um, being in an area where I think I, you know, I feel like I can really make an impact and change some lives for the better. And, um, you know, obviously we want to win games. We want to be competitive. We want to try and win a conference championship as soon as we can. Um, if we're able to do that, then that puts us in a conversation to win a national championship. So there's, you know, there's some things that we need to do, but the first step is getting the culture right and identifying the guys that sort of fit that mold that we're trying to go for, uh, you know, as a program. In terms of uh, you know finding players that fit, you're you're talking you're using the culture word, building a culture, establishing a culture, developing a culture. Um, mm-hmm. The current players that are there, how have they adapted to you coming in in these first few weeks uh, and, and really kind of beginning to try to lay that foundation for the future? And and how is that? Uh, also kind of gelled or meshed with recruits as well or or, or have they started to kind of get an understanding you feel in your conversations about you know what you mean by culture and and how that really translates to their student athlete experience yeah so uh, a funny story about the the current group of guys and i told this to uh, a group of recruits that i was meeting last week so when I first met the team, uh, I met them for lunch and before, you know, officially any announcement came out or anything like that. And we're having lunch and we're kind of getting to know one another. And I looked at each of them and I said, you know, by the time this is all done, we're going to be able to say to each other that we, we love each other. You know, that this is a family. And they all looked at me, you know, talk about getting some weird looks. Um, that was definitely a moment. Um, and they're like, what do you, what do you mean? No coach has ever said that to me. Um, before. So I think that was sort of a, a breakthrough moment for them to realize that it really is, is coming from a place of love. And, you know, in some cases it may be tough love at times, but genuine love in terms of wanting them to be successful, not only as people, but as, as players. So I think for me, part of what helped, um, you know, kind of uh, win their vote over, so to speak, was coming in really with a vision and with a plan and letting them know, Hey guys, here's what we're going to stand for in the future. uh, I think it's going to be advantageous to have the players kind of, you know, really put their stamp on it, really identify what they want the program to be. But I think coming in, trying to, um, you know, go in a different direction, I think it's helpful for them to kind of know what the expectations are. 
And so um, part of that, you know, a big piece of that is just the accountability. And as we're, you know, in off-season workouts right now, players beginning to hold each other accountable and holding, um, you know, the, the standards with which we work a little bit higher than what we've done previously. And so those are, you know, individual conversations. Those are group conversations. Those are basically every touch point that I possibly have with them, people and his players, reminding them on a consistent basis. Here's what we want to do. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how we're going to do it. And I think, um, you know, I had uh, one, one of my current players say to me, like he said, coach, she goes, that's a really simple message. And I said, it doesn't need to be complicated. It doesn't need to be, you know, I'm not trying to uh, give a doctoral thesis on or a dissertation on, you know, how to play soccer, how to be an effective college soccer player. What I want us to do are, you know, the little things and to do them really, really well. And then we'll gradually add and we'll kind of, you know, piece by piece, um, you know, kind of stack layers on the cake, so to speak. In terms of recruits, um, I've been really impressed. just in conversations that I've had, one of how many people are looking for um, a program or interested in a program, at least to have a conversation that culture is something that comes up. And, you know, then that leads into, well, what's your style of play? How do you manage players? Um, you know, tell Tell me about a typical training session. Um, you know, what are we doing uh, on away games? How does that look? Uh, home matches, those sort of things. So I think, um, you know, having, again, it goes back to, I think, a clear vision of who we are, what do we want to be, and how do we accomplish it. And then um, I told somebody this recently that really my job is to be a little bit of everything. It's to remind people about what that message is. I think we have a good message. But then it's also being sort of staff psychologist when I need to be. So making myself accessible, um, you know, it, it's never, I think when you love what you do, you're never really switched off from it. And some people might say, well, you know, you need some downtime. You need kind of, you know, time to kind of step away from it or whatever. And I think it just becomes part of your lifestyle. So replying to current players, if they send me a text or, you know, talking to recruits or whatever it might be, it just, it becomes part of the lifestyle. And I think players want to feel, I think what it comes down to is probably players feeling like they're valued and appreciated and not to the point where, you know, so that might get misinterpreted as, you know, everybody gets a participation trophy, right? And you're doing a great job just because you're here and blah, 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 blah. But there's a way, I think, sort of the next level of it in terms of the depth of the relationship. You can really, you know, push players to new areas they've never gone physically, mentally, um, emotionally, that sort of thing, because you have that really strong foundation, you know, of care and of love um, as, a, as a coach and as a player. And so, you know, I think looking upon that, um, I really like the the core group of players we have coming back. Um, I think they've bought into what we're trying to do and, you know, uh, kind of what we're working toward. And I think, especially for the, the new guys coming in, you know, I've told all of them, there's a massive opportunity for them to make an impact, massive opportunity for them to contribute, and a massive opportunity for them to really put their stamp 
on what this program looks like. And, you know, I think for them that has consistently, uh, you know, in the different uh, recruits have said to me, you know, I like that. I like being able to kind of make this into my program. And, and, you know, the last thing I'll say about this, I've told every player current and incoming, this is your program, not my program. My job is basically to be, you know, the traffic cop, tell you where to go, what to do, you know, be the guy, uh, kind of the resource guy. But at the end of the day, I can't play the games. I can't go to class. I can't, um, you know, write a paper or take a test for a student. I can't be the guy who steps up in a big moment, you know, late in the match and delivers a, a game-winning goal. But what I can do is try and put you in the best situation where you're going to succeed. And so I think, uh, you know, again, unless they're completely <laughs> uh, lying to me, I think people have been receptive to that message and, um, you know, excited, excited just to build upon that and, um, you know, I think that's just a, a positive atmosphere and uh, a challenging environment and something that the players are, are kind of looking forward. You know, they're looking forward to coming to training. They're looking forward to matches, you know, that sort of thing. You you mentioned uh, a few times the, the words love, care, uh, family. Um, how important is it and how, and how much of a revelation is it to the players? So far, uh, this this idea of belonging to something, belonging together, that this uh, uh, feeling of belonging uh, that you're trying to instill as part of the culture of your program. Uh, how, how have your players taken to that, and uh, have they accepted, embraced uh, what you're talking about there, or has it, has it kind of been skeptical? How is that? transition gone over the last few weeks yeah um I, I would say it's gone really well and i think it's the thing that they've realized that they didn't know they needed it um or they didn't know they needed and so um you know i i think they've been used to environments where um whether it's been sort of laissez-faire or authoritarian um you know those types of Environments. And that could be from, you know, from high school soccer, club soccer, uh, previous administrations, you know, those sort of things. And then, you know, here I come like a, like a Tasmanian devil uh, as a coach. And they're like, oh my God, like, who's this guy? Uh, and I think when they understand that, you know, the, the passion and love for helping people is really what drives me uh, as a person. And it's always been that thing that, is I think brought the most satisfaction to me really in any professional role I've had and certainly why I coach, um, you know, if someone had to distill it down, it's making that impact uh, on people. But I think being very intentional about actually saying that out loud, because there are players, uh, you know, on current roster where it's arm around the shoulder after a training session or, you know, one of our off season workouts, and, you know, it's, dude, you're doing a great job. You know, here, here's three things that I saw today that you did that were absolutely fantastic. And that's, that's what we're working toward. You know, keep doing what you're doing. I love it. You know, there's other players where um, it's probably more of a, you know, hey, tell me what's going on. Help me understand this situation a little bit better. And whether that be an academic situation, 
whether it be an athletic situation, family situation, you know, that sort of thing. So I think that a lot of that is really just driven by trust. Um, and it's so, it's so incredibly powerful um, what you can accomplish as a coach when you have the trust of the players. One of the things I told them early, Daniel, was our words and our actions have to match. So if we say we're going to be good at academics, we have to be good at academics. So that means going to class. Right. That means doing you know, our assignments on time, making sure we're prepared for tests and papers and all those things that require us to be good students. We say that we're going to be, you know, the hardest working team on the field or on the pitch during match day. Then we need to play that way. We need to train that way. It isn't just going through the motions of training and going, well, OK, I'm a little tired today. But you know what? Today really should be a nine or a ten day because we have a little bit of a break between games you know what, we really need to put in some work today. Okay, so again, our words and our actions have to line up with one another. So I think when they realized that, that that was sort of a, a breakthrough moment in a short amount of time, because for me, that's how consistency is built. You know, and again, it goes back to that trust piece. So um, a, a lot of what we do is really psychological. Um, you know, yeah, so, sure, we want players that are fit and are you know able to manage the what's required of a college soccer season for sure. However, a lot of it, I would say even more than fifty percent of it, is probably the psychological piece, and it's person management um, is really what it comes down to. And you know the the openness um, that I have with players that I share a lot about myself and you know, my own struggles at times, but also the, uh, you know, the, the powerful nature of being vulnerable, because I think sometimes in leadership, people think that you have to have every answer to every situation and to admit when you don't know the answer or, you know, Hey, this is a little out of my comfort zone. You know, I'm not quite sure, but we're going to figure this out together. And, you know, again, I think it just, back to rallying around having a person or an idea or you know a cause that they feel strongly about so and then the last thing I'll say um, you know listening uh, such a an underappreciated and probably underrated uh, characteristic of leadership listening to what they tell you listening to um, you know the how they respond to questions they give you a lot of the answers so I think for us as coaches, really one of our first jobs is just to be perceptive, you know, in helping build that trust and build that relationship with the player. Because if they know you're perceptive, they know you care and that you're not just there and kind of, you know, head in the sand, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it, it's been good uh, so far. And, you know, again, I think we just want to keep building upon that, uh, you know, as we the program developing ownership you 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 talked about accountability building trust um and and really kind of creating this sense of this is your program uh and 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 you know you're the players on the field in terms of of establishing that um that mindset with your players 
what are some things that a coach could do, whether it's a, a youth, a club team, whether it's a college program, even a, on a professional level, some things that a coach could do to establish trust, um, you know, build accountability, and ultimately have the players feel like this is my team, this is my club, this is our, you know, this is our thing together, not, you know, uh, an us versus them coach versus players, whatever case, like mm-hmm. how, how do you build that camaraderie to where everyone feels like they are buying in? I think if you're able to identify early on who your just natural leaders on the team are. So in the, the case of my situation, um, I have two guys on, on the team who quite honestly couldn't be more different in their leadership style. Uh, have one young man who is very, um, you know, uh, he will tell people what he thinks. He's very to the point. Um, you know, if you're not doing something, he's probably going to, you know, get on you a little bit for it. Have another person on the team who um, is probably more, you know, I don't know if it's the right term, but I would say cheerleader um, and sort of that positive you know, affirmation and, you know, Guys, you know what? That that wasn't our play, but we're we're going to move on to the next one. So I think you need both, and I think you need to identify who those people are. So, you know, if it's an older club team, it might be a little bit easier to do that. Obviously, as you go down in ages, um, you know, with some of the younger players, that's going to look a little bit different. But I think if you can identify who those natural leaders on your team are quickly. And having conversations with them, you know, what do they want? Um, and that's helping, you know, really every aspect of the program from, you know, uh, training sessions to how they lead warmups to how they communicate with their, their peers. Um, you know, and if someone um, doesn't make a training session for whatever reason, but, you know, hasn't lived up to the expectations that we sort of want, how are we going to handle that? You know, and is that the captains or is that the, the leadership on the team going to that person and saying like, you know, hey, man, we really missed you this morning. Um, you know, where were you? You know, what can we do to, so this doesn't happen again? So um, you know, I think for us, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of learning as we're going. And I think for us that, um, yeah, I you know, was very quick to identify who those leaders on our team are. It's not to say that we haven't had some challenges and some speed bumps and, and things like that. Because, you know, uh, every environment does. Um, that isn't to say that our environment is perf- uh, perfect by, you know, any stretch of the imagination. So I think then the second piece of that is probably the communication. And, you know, again, just that we have our foundation. We always fall back to the foundation when we get stuck. Um, you know, and if, I, I would rather players just be upfront, honest, and not dance around, you know, kind of what they're thinking or feeling. Um, you know, we're adults. Uh, if there's something that I did or if there's something that they're doing, you know, and as my mom would always tell me that, you know, there's a way to say things and there's a way to say things. So is there a way to hold a player accountable, but, you know, not um, come off as, uh, you know, say Bobby Knight or, you know, insert name of uh, authoritarian coach. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a way. And part of that is just that relationship you have with the players. So uh, there's a player on my team who 
uh, he's an international student. And um, I had sent him a message and I said, hey, man, um, you know, I, I'm just checking up on you. I haven't seen you in a little while. I'm just making sure everything's OK. He actually wrote back, um, coach, no one's actually ever asked me if I was OK. So I'm like, whoa, OK, like this is pretty revealing um, to sort of see where this person is. And so, you know, that's great intel for me as a coach, because now I think it, it allows for a relationship to, to really flourish and grow. Um, but part of it, again, it goes back to that listening, that communication piece, um, you know, the, the natural leadership on the team and figuring out a way, you know, to, to foster those relationships as best you can. Um, and that's not to say, so I think sometimes there's a misconception that, uh, fostering a relationship means that everything is, you know, sunny and 75 every single day, that there aren't speed bumps and there aren't challenges. I think when you're all in on somebody, whether that be, you know, uh, any type of relationship and you're committed to it, you'll work through those adversities. You'll work through those tough times. Um, and obviously the, the good times are even sweeter um, when something like that, you know, is happening. So, um, you know, it, it requires maintenance, it requires care, it requires, um, you know, frequent check-ins. It isn't something that you uh, put on a shelf and forget about, because if you do that, I think that you realize that, again, the actions and the words aren't adding up. Um, so if we're talking about all these things as a culture and as a program, we absolutely have to do them. And then the players to take risks, empowering the players to fail, empowering the players to, you know, try things that they've never tried. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to seeing where they can go as people and as players. And when the, the expectation is that, you know, uh, you're not going to get out for some of these things if you're taking risks um, is a player, you know, on the field and you're trying to help us be competitive and win. Um, what I get upset about or when our effort or when our focus or our, um, you know, if we're not playing the game the right way and respecting the game and our opponents, you know, those are the things that sort of get under my skin. But I, I absolutely have no issue with a player failing to be creative or to do something that they've never done. Um, you know, in a, in a competitive environment because they're trying. And I'll take that, you know, every single day of the week uh, as a coach. When uh, looking at, you know, establishing uh, the culture in terms of on the field, the play, the, the, uh, the way you want your players to play uh, in terms of individuals, but also as the collective, as the, as the team, um, what, is your your philosophy of play your style of play and how do you look to go about trying to implement that here in your off season as well as preparing for your your first uh you know college season that that begins in the fall yeah uh, one of the first things i told the guys is that um we're gonna rondo till we can't rondo anymore <laughs> and they uh they all sort of smiled and, and chuckled a little bit because um you know for them they enjoy those types of activities so a lot of what we do in training is small-sided um a lot of what we do is is rondo based 
um, you know, in terms of uh, keeping the ball, that's absolutely one what we want to do. And I've told them numerous times that, you know, the, the most valuable thing on the pitch is the soccer ball itself. So if we have it more than the opponent, there's a, a high likelihood that we're going to win. Um, and so then how do we build on those principles of then attacking? Um, you know, as a, as a former goalkeeper, it feels weird saying this, but I want to score goals. Um, I want our team to be able to put the ball in the back of the net. So we have to train that way, um, you know, and, and basically take the big game and, and kind of shrink it down to, you know, smaller elements. So you probably would never see much uh, in one of our training sessions where we're actually doing a full 11 v 11. There'll be times for it for sure. Most of the time, it's going to be small. And um, can we play to target players? Um, can we use the full width of the pitch, um, you know, target advantage? Um, and also, you know, I, I think the other piece of defending, um, you know, so if we're, we're making things big and things wide when we're attacking, then can we shrink it down when we're defending? And can we get, you know, really uh, uh, confined, uh, so to speak? Um, so I, I think that message of, you know, we want to play attacking possession oriented soccer. And if we can, you know, we want it to look like a Barcelona or an Ajax or, um, you know, I often use the, the example of Liverpool, um, you know, current day Liverpool, just because I think their versatility as a team is, you know, that's why they're one of the best in, in world football right now. They can do a little bit of everything. So the most important thing for us, yes, we want to keep the ball. The other piece of that is having a high soccer IQ. So understanding what the situation calls for. So that isn't, um, you know, Coach Jason ever saying, you know, we're never going to play direct. I mean, my God, why would we ever do that? You know, but if the situation calls for a quick counterattack and we can get forward quickly, uh, let's do it. You know, so being able to recognize what the situation calls for. Um, and part of that is having players that sort of understand that, um, you know, we, we have to be able to see and read what we do. Uh, and, you know, take in information, but also make a decision, I think, quickly from that. Um, so we, we trade that way. And uh, like I said, a lot of what we do is going to be Rondo based and small sided game based. Um, that message, I think, has been very receptive to the current group. Um, I've actually had a few guys say to me, well, coach, we never really had like a style of play before. So. If there's one hill that I'll die on, Daniel, um, it will be our style of play. Uh, and does that mean that, you know, every goal kick we're, we're trying to build out from the back? I would say more often than not, you know, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Um, but, yeah, if there's times where we can get forward and, and do it quickly, obviously we'll do that too. That versatility and that adaptability as a team is what makes some of the best teams in the world. And, again, I go back to the Liverpool example why they're so damn good because <laughs> they can do a little bit of everything. So how do you plan for that? If you're in opposition where you're coming up against an opponent that can do a little bit of everything, I think it makes us really difficult then to prepare for. And that is what I want, you know, our opponents to look at us and go, Oh my God, like where, where do we, you know, we, we solved one problem, but now there's still two others that we have to account for. How do we figure that part out? So you're going to see probably a lot of four three three, 
you'll probably see a lot of uh, four two three one. You know, we'll occasionally go to a four four two. Um, you know, uh, when the situation calls for it. But ideally, we want to get numbers forward. Um, you know, as quickly as we as we possibly can, and especially, um, you know, from our outside backs. I mean, those guys are going to be absolutely massive for us as a as a program because they're going to provide a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, uh, I think to, to help the guys, the, the number nines and number tens and the sevens and the elevens of the world um, to, you know, possibly score some goals uh, for us. Um, but I think it's important to have that identity and have that philosophy. And, you know, will there absolutely be, be growing pains for it? hundred percent. You know, uh, this isn't something that I expect the boys to, you know, wake up tomorrow and magically feel that they mastered. However, the repetition that Rondos provide, the quick decision that Rondos provide, the, you know, uh, interpreting of information that Rondos provide, they will become better at it. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of upperclassmen on our team. We're a fairly young team. This, it may not pay dividends in year one, but in year two, year three, when guys that have consistently done these activities over and over again feel really comfortable when we're focused on body shape and how to receive a ball and you know how to make a proper pass and all these just little things that add up to us scoring a goal, they'll go, coach, like, this is good. You know, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah, like, I get it now. Um, and I've actually been really impressed uh, about the incoming guys who feel comfortable even knowing or kind of having some sense of what possession-based soccer looks like. Um, and I mention it to every single one of them because if I don't, they'll, they'll probably ask about it or what formations do you like to play or something like that. So I've told every single one of them, here's what we want to do. And many of them have said, well, you know, we played a version of that uh, with my club team or we played a version of that with my high school team. So I think this movement of understanding that you know, oh my gosh, the, and I've said this before that, you know, the soccer ball is a, is a hot potato and oh my God, what do I do with it? I got to get rid of it. You know, somebody else, I can have it. So if we were moving away from that as a culture, that's actually a really, really good thing for us as a soccer society. Um, and just having these conversations with, guys truly all over the states um, we've left no stone unturned in terms of <laughs> recruiting people um many of them not all of them but many of them uh i think have some level of comfort and probably better than i would have given them credit for because they're at least somewhat used to that style of play that's a positive and so typically in these conversations i've said to them you know this would be a natural transition for you you know we're not necessarily reinventing the wheel for you to come and play in this program. So it's now taking your strengths, amplifying them. And then, you know, I, I always give the, the Leo Messi, um, you know, example when they say, well, well, you know, coach, I'm not like the most physically imposing guy in the world. And my response to that is, well, neither is Leo Messi. So you don't have to be, you know, six foot three, 215 pounds built like, you know, uh, a brick wall to play in our system. And that gives us more options, I think, in terms of who we're looking at. If players can make good decisions, good with the ball at their feet, um, if they can pass the ball effectively, they'll do really, really well. 
in the system that we're playing. So, in terms of uh, the American soccer lexicon, a word that I don't think is used enough, and uh, I would I would love to see more use is is the word protagonist. Um, yeah. and and it's really just you know being the the uh, the team. Sometimes it's the player um, on the field that is, you know, forcing your will. Um, you, you are you are the proactive one, basically. Um, and that that could be, you know, a lot of people mistake that into thinking that it is, you know, a um, that has that has to look like Pep Guardiola and and positional play, possession-based soccer, uh, that if you don't play that way, then you're not a protagonist. But, you know, Diego Simeone is, is, a, is a classic example of a protagonist um, who, who chooses to play a different way um, and will often look to, to uh, utilize what you want to do against you uh, and, and, and try to hit you on the counter, but he's forced you to play that way he's he's not just you're not just coming at he's 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 giving you basically certain parts of the field he's not going to let you usually very easily within uh you know 18 20 yards to the goal that area is kind of off limits he's basically going to make it impossible for you to work through um, that area, but he will concede some other areas of the field and then look to allow you to open yourself up. And then he, that's, you know, will strike you um, like a Cobra. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's multiple ways to, to, you know, to be a protagonist on the field. Uh, I am like you. I am, I am a, Roy Pep uh, guy, I love Klopp as well, and and but I I, I love positional play and and the pr- the principles of positional play and possession based. Uh, you know, I want to have the ball. I mean, that's just the way I kind of simplify it. Uh, you know, for for teams that I coach, like I we want to have the ball one hundred percent of the time. Yes, I know it's not possible, but we're going to try always to have it 100% of the time. Um, and, and that also comes from that mentality of trying to be the protagonist. Now, in your setup, what, what is uh, your kind of geographical area you're going to be traveling in terms of conference play, etc.? And how important is it to you that your team plays as the protagonist away from home as much as they do while they are at home? Yeah. So our, uh, our geographic area, um, we're primarily playing division three schools in the mid Atlantic. Um, and our conference is actually uh, Pennsylvania-based, so we're actually playing other Penn State campuses um, here in Pennsylvania that would have, um, you know, men's soccer. And then our non-conference schedule, uh, like I said, is probably more regional um, in nature and division schools in Maryland and Ohio and other parts of 
Pennsylvania, and um, maybe even Eastern PA, New Jersey, New York, et cetera. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so when we, yeah, um, it, it doesn't matter for home or away. Um, we, we are who we are, you know, Mia's on Mia, uh, in terms of Bayern Munich, right? We are who we are, uh, that, yeah, our identity, um, doesn't change because the environment changes and doesn't change because, you know, uh, we're playing on a, a grass field versus a turf field or, or whatever. So I, I think having those principles, you know, again, it goes back to this sort of idea that simpler is probably better, that we don't, um, you know, uh, load boys' minds with so much information that they don't know what to do and whatever. More of this repetition of just a consistent, clear, you know, easy to understand and easy to follow message. is really, um, you know, not as important. Um, so whether we're home, whether we're away, um, whether we're playing in a conference, you know, playoff game or championship or national championship or whatever, that our identity really guides what we do. Um, absolutely. I mean, we don't want to press us not out of a um, um, so if anybody's listening to this, look out for that because we're, we're coming out of Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that's who we are. And I think, so the, one of the things that, uh, when you're talking about protecting the standard that I thought of, it's really interesting to see the guys on our teams, the returning guys that were born in foreign countries and their orientation to the game versus um, some of the American players uh, that we have. And that's not a, to say one is right, one is wrong, you know, anything like that. It's definitely more of a free form um, with a lot of the, you know, international guys of how they approach their work. Where the American players really want structure. They want it to be, you know, almost uh, a little more rigid, um, I think, in nature. So I think the challenge for me with the international guys is to not coach the creativity out of them, right? There's times where taking somebody on one-on-one is going to be very appropriate. Um, there's times where, uh, you know, they might pull a trick out of their bag. Um, you go, oh, my God, what was that? But maybe it pays off. Maybe it doesn't. I think having that in their skill set is just part their DNA. And I love that. And I've told each of them that, you know, I don't want you to change who you are as a player. Um, you know, so if we're generally in the ballpark and, you know, for the most part, sort of coloring within the lines in the, in the coloring book, and we're doing what we're supposed to do. What I want from the American players is to begin to think a little freer, um, and a little more, uh, you know, open-minded in terms of how they think of the game. And that just comes with exposure, right? And the culture, so it's not only what do we expect of ourselves as a program, but soccer culture. So when we're watching matches on Saturday morning as a team, well, what did you see there? You know, why do you think that was effective? Um, 
getting the guys to think about the game and watch the game more has really been, I think, one of the, the coolest things that I've gotten to experience in a really short amount of time. When, you know, guys at a, an early morning training session say, hey, coach, Champions League's on today. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, like, great. Like, I'm glad you're thinking that way. Because for me, like I said, it does, it's not a light switch. You don't turn it on and off of when you're a soccer player and when you're not. You know, it's something that you are all the time. So it then just becomes a part of who you are and what you do and how you dress and how you talk and, um, you know, this sort of consumption of the game. So I think for us, uh, back to the original question, it is much bigger than, um, you know, just rolling out the ball and saying, you know, what's going to play. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that identity and that style has to guide what we do. We come up against adversity 100%. It's then figuring out what do we do in those situations. So that's my job is to begin to think through what those situations might be, you know, in a training session so that when they get to match day, they're not, you know, they're not swimming in the deep end, so to speak of going, well, we've never seen this before. We don't coach. What do we do here? You know, uh, I want them to be able then to either figure it out on their own, or at least we've thought about it, you know, in a training session. So, so those little details become incredibly important to us, um, you know, as a program, how we train, how we approach our work on match day, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's, so, it's so key. And, um, and, and, it sounds like you're laying a really good foundation uh, for you know how how your team is to play. It's one of the reasons why I love positional play uh, goes into that point of creativity, which is you know if you have people in the right positions in the right places. Uh, you can actually allow your players more freedom and creativity because they're in the right spot. This is why, you know, people mistake Pep's teams as teams that, you know, they only just pass and it's one, two touch passes. This is all they do. You're not watching if that's what you think uh, Pep Guardiola and positional play is all about. It, it actually accentuates the dribbler. And, uh, and and allows those dribblers even more freedom to try mm-hmm. things, more freedom uh, to 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 be creative, and encourages that creativity. So, um, you know, I love that you are are embracing that, and, and best of luck uh, to um, you know the start of this this project and uh, in in your work there um with the guys you know I, I i hear the things you're talking about and it uh, it sounds like um for those players that they're going to be in a really really cool environment one that's going to encourage them to play uh and uh and play beautifully and that's that's certainly something i i personally am a big big fan of jason thanks for joining the show how can people follow your work connect with you etc um with your podcast uh twitter whatever 
Yeah. Uh, the On the Touchline podcast comes out every Wednesday. And uh, myself and my co-host, uh, Aaron Rogers at uh, Ohio University, um, do that on a weekly basis. So give that a listen and available on all major uh, podcasting platforms. You can find me. Um, I'm active. Uh, just like Daniel and all the the big social platforms, so uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, you can find me at Soccer Coach JB. And Daniel, thank you again. Uh, this was really enjoyable, and um, just appreciate the work and good work you're doing for us as a, a soccer society. And um, yeah, it's been fun, man. I'm I'm glad uh, we've been able to to do this a few times. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show um, and appreciate your work as well. Best of luck with the program. Best of luck with your show, as always. And uh, thanks again for, for coming on. Uh, look forward to having you on again uh, in the future to kind of discuss uh, implementation of some of these things we discussed today uh, and see how they're going. So appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Jason Broadwater, the uh, the head coach of Penn State Greater Allegheny and also uh, host and co-host of On the Touchline podcast, available where uh, wherever you uh, get your podcast. Check it out today. Uh, you will do yourself a favor by doing so. We'll be right back after this. No one, no man, no woman, no child should ever have to drink green water with bugs, with algae, with disease in it. Bad water and a lack of toilets kill more people than all the wars in the world. We know how to bring clean drinking water right now to every single person on earth. You can bring water into communities. It truly transforms them. It changes everything. Right? You could know that you'd made a difference. You could know that you had truly impacted the life of a family, of a community, of a region. There was either clean water or there wasn't. We believe in a world where every single person has clean and safe water to drink. And we will continue fighting until that happens. Thanks for watching the show. As always, we appreciate it. You can watch it on BegaTV.com, B-E-G-A-T-V.com, Facebook.com forward slash W-R-K-M-N at DanielWorkman.com on Twitter. You can also catch me on Instagram or Twitter. DMs are open at Daniel Workman. Thanks for watching. As always, we will see everyone again tomorrow. Tomorrow.